0: Last week, we looked at the transformation that takes place in the lives of believers in Jesus Christ, and the lives of those that know and follow after Jesus Christ as Lord. And we looked at that passage from Ephesians chapter 4 that talks about the old self, the life before knowing Christ, and then the transformation that takes place when we put on the new self, the self that knows Jesus Christ. We saw that picture that's like taking off an old set of clothes and putting on a new set of clothes. The total transformation that takes place through Jesus Christ. And this morning in our final message in this series from Ephesians chapter 4, we look at some specific illustrations of that transformation in our lives. Some specific behavioral practices that that are the result of that transformation in and through Jesus Christ. So I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 as we begin in verse 25. The general truth that I want us to see this morning is that our love for one another should imitate God's gracious love for us as displayed in the sacrifice of Christ. Our love for one another should imitate God's gracious love for us as displayed in the sacrifice of Christ. But before we talk about that general truth, we're going to look at some specific practices, some specific examples of what it what it means to to live in light of that transformation. What it means to To say to God, ready and willing, here am I. What does this look like in my day-to-day life? Ephesians chapter 4 will begin in verse 25. And as you look at that passage together, I want you to notice right away how it begins. It begins with the word, therefore. Signaling that in some way, this particular passage, verses 25 and following, are tied to something that has been written prior to this. And that's something, I believe, is found in the immediately preceding verse, verse 24, when it describes new believers or believers in Christ, those that have been transformed in Christ, as created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, in a sense, the image of God that was marred in us at the fall begins to be restored in us As we come to know and follow after Jesus Christ. And so what does it mean to live in light of that image? What does it mean to live in light of who we are in Jesus Christ? And so essentially what's being said as we move into this section this morning. Is is therefore in light of that truth live in this way. Or live in the following way. Verse 25. Ephesians chapter 4 beginning in verse 25. Therefore each of you must put off falsehood. And speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Please pray with me as we begin to look at this passage of Scripture. Father God, we thank you. For this time, we thank you for these few moments. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that is found therein, Lord. I pray that by your spirit, you would guide us into that truth. May you instruct us on what it means to to live in light of who we are in you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, as you can see, or as I hope you saw, there's a number of specific practices, very specific practices that are mentioned right here in this particular passage. More specific than we often find in Scripture. Meaning that this this passage and what's found here is very readily and very easily transferable into our lives today. To be applied into our lives right now, today. Easily transferable. And each of these particular elements follow a certain pattern. And nearly every single one of them, an old practice is mentioned. The negative, old self-behavior. Followed by the counterpart, the new self behavior in Christ, and then all of that is followed by the theological foundation or reason or motivation for living in that way. And so based on what's found here, the the nature and the structure of this particular passage, I want to give you five marks or five characteristics of followers of Jesus Christ. Five characteristics of Christ's followers. And the first is this. Christ's followers are characterized by truthfulness. Christ's followers are characterized by truthfulness. Verse 25, therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In other words, because we are all members of the body of Christ, that one church, that one body that our choir just sang of, that one body that we read about and opening verses of Ephesians chapter 4, we ought to be characterized by truthfulness, especially with each other in the family of God. And we've already seen this referenced uh, in Ephesians chapter 4. As we've walked through this particular chapter, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, we saw that false teachers are characterized by deceit, by deceptiveness, yet believers, all believers, are to be speaking the truth in love. Now here we see the, a specific example of living in light of who we are in Christ. And living in light of our new self in Christ is that we're to be characterized by truthfulness. And being characterized by truthfulness involves not only speaking the truth, the verbal content of what we say, but it's also how we say it. Speaking truthfully as if we're not deceptively holding any vital information back that is important to the communication of the truth and we 're to do all that why what 's the, the the basis the foundation we find at the end of verse twenty five because we are all members of one body now we 're not only supposed to speak truthfully with those that make up the church as if we 're part of some secret society or, or secret club with with benefits only for ourselves we 're to speak the truth to all people, but that practice begins with our brothers and sisters in Christ, with our faith family, with our church family. So Christ followers are characterized, number one, by truthfulness. Second mark of Christ followers. Christ followers control their anger. Christ followers control their anger. Verses 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Now, on a day like today, when nearly everyone's team won yesterday, uh, this may not seem that important. On a day after the majority of the teams represented in this l- room loses, many, many would be a bit more upset over a football game. But uh, I do know that there are a handful of Tennessee fans, as um, David alluded to earlier, r- represented in this room. I know we have at least one um, die hard Mississippi State fan, and I'm not going to mention any names. There's probably some others mentioned as well. But a second characteristic of Christ followers is in any and all circumstances, they control their anger. Now, notice I didn't say they don't get angry. Because the truth is, getting angry in and of itself, as long as it's founded in the right motivation, is is not sinful. If anger is rooted in honoring God, it's not sinful. And those of you that are studying through John in Sunday School right now saw a perfect example of that this morning when, when Jesus Christ, the Son of God Himself, came into the temple in Jerusalem and He got angry because a place of worship had been turned into a marketplace. But His His anger was controlled and it was rooted in honoring God. But on the contrary, anger that is rooted in in sin or selfishness or hatred or revenge or pride is not honoring to God. And either way, anger is a strong emotion that makes all of us more susceptible to sin. Makes us all more vulnerable to sin if it's allowed to linger. Scripture tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, to be self-controlled and alert. Why? Because the enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The Bible teaches that Satan, the devil, is, is real, and he is actively wandering around looking for people to draw away from the truth and into rebellion against God. And he knows that when we allow anger to fester in our lives, that we become more susceptible to temptation and sin. And so he likes to toss temptation our way in those moments. This is sort of like, like playing with fire. I have to admit, um, I'm, I'm a little bit of a pyromaniac. I mean, I think fire is, is really neat. It's really cool. Um, but the words playing and fire... Uh, don't even belong in the same stream of consciousness, much less the same sentence. But fire in and of itself is not a bad thing. In fact, it can be a very good thing. But if it's allowed to get out of control, if it's not monitored, if it steps out of its bounds, it be- quickly becomes a very dangerous thing. And the same thing is true in our lives of anger. If we allow anger to, to linger and we dwell on anger, we become susceptible to sin. And just like gasoline that is tossed on a fire allows it to, or causes it to quickly come out of control, Satan tosses temptation our way when he sees that we are being ruled by and controlled by and dwelling on anger. So second characteristic of Christ's followers, Christ's followers control their anger. Mark number 3. Christ's followers work hard to provide for themselves and others. Christ's followers work hard to provide for themselves and others. Verse 28. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. And the word that's used here for stealing... Uh, in this particular verse, likely implies stealing secretly, secret stealing. And perhaps uh, Paul, as he wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus, had in mind those uh, lower-income workers in an agricultural environment whose income fluctuated greatly from season to season and in difficult times were tempted to, to secretly steal from their employers. The same thing happens today from business executives to poor criminals to individuals on their tax returns and everywhere in between people are tempted to secretly steal for personal profit and the Bible says here and elsewhere that, that such a practice is not okay. It's not Christ-like. It's not honoring to Christ. On the contrary, we are to, to work hard to provide for ourselves, and I love the motivation that we're given here to work hard in verse 28. Not only to provide for ourselves, but to provide for others. Now notice in every single one of these illustrations or examples of Christ-like living, there's a transformation that takes place that results in No longer living a self-centered life, a self-satisfying life, a a prideful life that's all about me and my success and my well-being and my pursuits. But a transformation takes place to where the individual Christ follower is suddenly much more concerned with the well-being of others. And seeking to, to humbly meet the needs of others as illustrated here. In verse 28, working hard to not only provide for ourselves, but also for the needs of others. In Titus chapter 3, verse 14, Paul wrote to Titus, Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. And what's really being communicated there is that people in the church ought to devote themselves to work hard so that they recognize and meet the urgent needs of other people in the world. And that's the picture here. And Jesus himself said, as recorded by Luke in Acts, uh, in the words of Paul. Trace that one. Acts chapter 20 verse 35. Jesus apparently said, it is better to give than to receive. As Christ followers, we are to work Hard to provide for ourselves and for others. Fourth characteristic of followers of Jesus Christ, found in verses 29 and 30, is that Christ followers use speech to build up the church. Christ followers use speech to build up the church. Verse 29 Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. See it again? Meeting the needs of others, that it may benefit those who listen and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So second mark right here in this passage that we see that has to do with our language, with what we say, with what comes out of the mouth. Christ's followers are to be speaking truthfully and also to use speech to build up the church. And that's because the tongue, according to James chapter 3, is a deadly poison. It's a restless evil. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. The words that we say are important. And if you're a follower of Christ, they ought to be used to benefit others and to build up the church, for the church. It's not about us. It's not for us. Notice that the focus here is on the listener. It's not on the speaker. It's for the benefit of others, for for building others up in the truth. There is no place, no room in the church for for gossip, for backbiting, for slander. Our words are to be used to to lift up the body of Christ, to encourage the body of Christ, to draw the body of Christ together in a way that, that honors our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love Pastor Doug Webster's summation of the truth found right here in this particular verse. He says, The purpose of communications is not to make us feel better, but to build others up. The focus is on the listener, not the talker. Our concern is for his or her emotional welfare and spiritual edification. And we could say the same thing about our written words when it comes to social media, media, Facebook, Twitter, anything. Our words in the body of Christ, our speech is to be used to build others up for their benefit, not simply to make us feel better about ourselves. And when we speak falsely, when we speak in a way that does not build others up, when we allow unwholesome talk to come out of our mouths as the body of Christ, we, verse 30, grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom we were sealed for the day of redemption. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've trusted in Christ for salvation, if you've repented of your sin and turned to Christ, then you have been, been marked by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption, the day that... Christ will return and, and carry out His judgment on the world, and He will overlook you and deliver you and take you to receive the inheritance that, that God has given you through Him. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 read this way, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. If you've trusted in Christ then you've been marked with the Holy Spirit of God who is a deposit, guaranteeing your inheritance when the day Christ returns. And because that is true, we make every effort to listen to the Spirit of God, to submit to the Spirit of God, to obey the Spirit of God rather than to grieve or to sadden the Holy Spirit of God by using speech that is not profitable in the church, that does not build others up, but instead tears them down. Christ followers use speech to build up the church. Fifth and final mark of Christ followers. Christ followers are characterized by kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. Christ followers are characterized by kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. Verses 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness Rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. There we see that pattern again. Get rid of this practice and engage in this practice. And do it because Christ forgave you. So this list of of five things that are characteristic of the old self that we're told to to get rid of because because they lead to verbal abuse, tearing others down. And instead, we are to, to practice compassion and grace and kindness and forgiveness and hospitality. And by very nature of those things, we're talking about people who have wronged us The very idea of compassion is is giving someone what they don't deserve, giving someone better than they deserve, is it not? This is a a common trait or characteristic of of our God found in Scripture, that He is a compassionate and gracious God, that He doesn't treat us as we deserve. And so to engage in kindness and compassion and forgiveness with others is to show that, that we're treating them better than they deserve, not giving them what we deserve. And the same thing is true of forgiveness. If you sin against someone else, if I sin against someone else, I don't deserve to be forgiven. But yet here, we're told in Scripture very blatantly, very clearly, that we are to practice compassion and kindness and forgiveness with each other just because God in Christ has forgiven us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 But because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And that leads us to the final two verses of this passage this morning. Not only the heart of this particular passage, but I believe the heart of this whole series, of all of our efforts, of all of our pursuits to follow after Christ, to grow in our walk with Christ, should be rooted in, in what we see right here in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Our love for one another should imitate God's gracious love for us as displayed in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, we don't pursue these things. We don't, we don't pursue speaking truthfully and, and using our speech to build others up and working hard to meet the needs of others and showing compi- compassion and kindness and forgiveness to each other. We don't pursue all of these things simply to earn favor with God or or to be admired by other people, or, or to somehow gain an, a reward. We pursue all of these things because God's compassion and His grace and His love, as it has been poured out for us through Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago, compels us to. Everything that we do, all of our pursuits to grow in our walk with Christ and to be obedient to Christ. And to honor God are a result of the grace of God as it has been worked out in our lives. God is a gracious God. And He is a God who is just. He is a God who is perfect. He is a God who is holy. He is a God who is righteous. And because that is who He is, He punishes wickedness and rebellion And sin. And he did so through the bloodshed of Jesus Christ. And as a result, we have gone from enemies of God to being adopted as sons and daughters of the Almighty God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. And because God did such a scandalous and incomprehensible thing as that, we make every effort to imitate that display of God's gracious love for us. So that the world will see it and so they will be drawn to the truth and transformed by it. I know it sounds cheesy, but we as people who make up this church, Meadowbrook Baptist Church and, and every other true church, true body of Christ. Are to serve as an imitation station, imitating the love and the grace of Christ over and over and over again in a way that points people to the truth that is found in Jesus Christ. Our love for one another should imitate God's gracious love for us as displayed in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And the believers in Jesus Christ at Antioch in the first century must have been doing something right as they received the title Christians for the first time, meant to be a derogatory term describing little Christ, those who, who lived in such a way and who talked in such a way as to, to try to imitate the love of Jesus Christ. And could people say that about us? Could people say that when they look at us and, and watch us and listen to us that, that we look like little Christ, people that are trying to imitate Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior? Every single one of us has gone from living as the Gentiles do separation from God, futility in our thinking, darkness, continually lusting after sin, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 19, to life and transformation in Jesus Christ. We have gone from death to life, from being ruled by sin to to being forgiven in Christ. And as a result, we make every effort to, to imitate the gracious love of Christ with one another as it has been displayed in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Have you been gripped by the grace of God as it has been displayed in Jesus Christ? Has that love and that compassion and that undeserved kindness taken over you? Have you recognized that truth and have you responded appropriately to it? And if you never have, then I urge you now to to cry out to God in your sins... Asking for forgiveness, to repent before Him, trusting in Jesus, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross to save you and to reconcile you to God. That is the beginning of following Jesus Christ. It cannot begin anywhere else. And if you have recognized that truth, if you recognize the the great grace and compassion and kindness and forgiveness and love of God as has been poured out through Jesus Christ on the cross If you recognize that at some point in your life, in the past, are you allowing that truth to compel you to live in such a way as honors Christ day after day after day? Or or are you suppressing the impact of that truth on your life by, by ignoring that truth? By not dwelling on that truth as people who have gone from death to life, you and I, of all people, ought to relish in that truth, ought to think on that grace day after day after day after day day and allow it to serve as the motivation, as the foundation, as the basis for living a life that is pleasing to God, imitating the love of God as has been displayed in Jesus Christ. So look to the cross of Christ today. Look to the cross of Christ tomorrow and look to the cross on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday and on Friday and on Saturday of this week as you seek to live in such a way that your life imitates the gracious love of God as has been displayed in Jesus Christ so the world will see the truth and come to know the truth and be set free by the truth. Our love for one another should imitate God's gracious love for us as has been displayed in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that's found therein. Lord, I pray that in spite of my inadequacies, in spite of my failures, that you would continue to speak through your word. Lord, our confidence is in you. It's in the truth that's found in your book that's been given to us. And, Lord, I pray that, that you would continue to use it as you have in the past by the power of your Holy Spirit to transform lives, Lord, to point people to the cross of Jesus Christ, to the message of salvation in you. Help us to be broken over that truth. Help us to be captivated by that grace, Lord. Lord, I pray that we as a church, that we as a people would be overcome by the great grace that you've shown us and that it would serve as a motivation for living a life that is pleasing to you today and tomorrow and this week and every day of our lives, Lord. Remind us of the truth that's in you. Remind us of the grace that you've shown us, Lord. May you be glorified in us as we seek to imitate Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.